Radio Drone. Brad's still recovering from Wizard World or the NerdCon or whatever he's doing, so I had to drag the depths of the internet again. And no, not Charlie McMullen, but Marquis Dissuade is here. I'm not the depths. I'm usually here. Trust me, you're the depths. And also we brought back Cecil from Good Bad Flicks. When did it become Cecil? <laughs> it's from The Simpsons, Sideshow Bob's brother. Oh, Sideshow side yeah. Cecil. I gotcha. Ah, so it's an episode in, and I'm already a slappy boy. Is it better than the nickname that they're invariably going to give you in the comments? Uh, I, I can only wait. Who knows? Yeah. What what awful thing am I going to become there? So, Alex, since we need to do the Adam and Eve promo before we get into tonight's topic, which we actually just decided on right before the show, after a trailer we watched, please do the Adam and Eve promo, because that trailer almost melted my brain. Go to adamandeve.com and use the promo code DROME and get 50% off a single item. Free shipping in the United States. 50% off the sing- first item. Um, I already I- said that. <laughs> I said that. All right, um, so you're gimping it up. Go to adamandeve.com, use the promo code DROME, and you get 50% off of a single item. Three free DVDs, free U.S. shipping, and a free mystery gift, all for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. So tonight's topic was actually kind of solidified when Jowski ran across the trailer for David Dakota's new piece of product, and yes, that's what it is. It's not a movie, it's product. Santa's Summer House, starring Cynthia Rothrock as Mrs. Claus. It's hilarious. It's so bad. It's bad. And and just like all David Dakota movies of the last decade, uses the same house, the same lack of any kind of quality, the same shot on camcorder from walmart look it this this thing it's, couldn't have had a budget of more than three hundred dollars it's the same dog from easter bunny puppy it's the same house from a talking cat and every 1313 movie this should just be called 1313 santa summer house so since we all watched this trailer right before we started recording am i the only one that that doesn't like this whole so bad it's good because i think that's what david dakota thinks he's doing that he's making movies that are so bad they're fun bad well i mean it's it's really a, a weird line to cross as far as being like something that is you know bad good a lot of asylum movies while they've been getting better there are some of them that you think would be really bad good but they end up just being bad bad like there's they're either too slow or they're boring or they use way too much stock footage. Dakota, who I think is genuinely a good director, he ha- well, let me kind of go into that a little bit more. He has the ability. I think he used to be a good director. Well, uh, well, that's the thing. I-, I think that he he has the ability to still make good movies. He just kind of chooses not to. It just doesn't is is scraping by with these tiny budget uh, direct to video pieces of garbage because. The majority of them are are just are barely watchable. They're they're just terrible. Although I will say that Santa's Summer House looks magnificent. I don't know. I I think it's a combination of the cast and the the premise of it. It, it, it. I think the only thing that's missing was it would be really cool if they were to somehow uh, put in some sort of action sequences or whatnot. Because I mean. You've got, you know, Gary Daniels and Cynthia Rothrock and Daniel Bernard and, and all these, like, you know, more or less B-movie action stars. And they're just in this movie that's kind of like a family 
holiday film. So it's really out of place. I don't know. I think that that's kind of where the magic comes in, where instead of a lot of his 1313 movies where it's just a bunch of nobodies and a really terrible story and really terrible special effects, this one, you take a just a, a story that's completely out of place for the cast and you put that together with the low budget and somehow that ends up making it good. Like I said, there's really no exact science because, you know, there, there's there been a lot of his movies that look like they're going to be good and they're bad. And this one, actually, I think is going to be entertaining, but still bad. And see, I don't like the whole it's so bad, it's good that, hey, I'm going to try to not make a good movie. And then people will still like it because they'll enjoy how not good of a movie it is. I think that is detrimental to the entire film industry. And I think that's rather insulting to the audience that I'm not even going to try and you're going to like it anyway. Doesn't that almost reward apathy? Well, the the thing is, is that the best good bad movies are absolutely positively the ones that are not intentionally bad. Yes, like I said, I, I did want to see this, but I'm not looking at this as a good movie. But there are a lot of movies like Troll 2 and Howard the Duck that really didn't go out to be bad movies. It's just that that's kind of how they came out as. The Wicker Man remake went in with millions of dollars, Nicolas Cage, a whole big budget, and still ended up being just a complete disaster that is hysterically laughable. I think that, yes, movies that intentionally are bad are somewhat detrim detrimental to the film industry, but honestly, worse than that, because, I mean, these a lot of the movies that are intentionally bad, they don't cost a lot of money. I think what's more harmful to the film industry is movies like Transformers 2 and whatnot, where they have $300 million budgets zero script they're complete shiny garbage and they go on to make a billion dollars because that just kind of goes to show well if we throw enough money at it and we have enough splashy special effects we can overlook having a good script and we can overlook having any semblance of plot okay so i think what david dakota is doing lately is most of the time he's just making 90 minutes of whatever to fit with a dvd cover to put in a red box or whatever and Hence um, why I just call these product and not films. But he has had some sort of quote-unquote cult sensation lately, especially with The Talking Cat. I mean, I wasn't the only one talking about that movie. And Santa's Summer House looks to be just like a talking cat. But it, it seems but it seems to me like you're encouraging his I don't care. Like a talking cat is so lazily made. I mean, Eric Roberts literally has his lines recorded on a speakerphone. You can see the laser constantly or the piece of food that they're using to try and get the cat to do what they want it to do. You can see the actors are just befuddled at their dialogue and are sometimes struggling to remember it. It just seems like they said, we'll make a whole movie in a weekend. It's almost like, like that line in Ed Wood, the movie. People want the big picture. They don't care about the small details. I think that is rewarding laziness that he said, why should I put out all my effort when people are still going to flock to my movie, Twitter the hell out of it and and watch it constantly because of how bad it is? Why should I even try to make a good movie? 
Why do you say it's almost like that line in Ed Wood? It's exactly like that line in Ed Wood. But so wh- why are you in- encouraging this? Why are you helping encourage this lazy filmmaking of why should we even try? Because it's a unique filmmaking. This is what David Dakota does. It's not I, I don't think other artists could get away with doing it intentionally the way that David Dakota does. Like if I set out and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna get, you know, Cynthia Rothrock as Mrs. Claus, nobody would take me seriously. But David Dakota has a specific style. I mean, the Dakota house that you see in every movie, it's what he does. It's it's specific to him. It's what makes him David Dakota, and you either enjoy that or you don't i'm encouraging it for my own selfish means because i enjoy it i'm not encouraging it so josh can finally like it or anything but you don't think that has sort of a trigger effect on the rest of the industry then the other low budget filmmakers like full moon that we talked about last week might not see that and say why should we put four hundred thousand dollars into a film when we can get away with making it on forty thousand, half-assing all the effects, not even trying to get the actors to remember their dialogue if people are still going to buy it anyway? Don't you think that has an unintended trigger effect? If it's fun, it's worth it. So if it destroys the <laughs> entire film industry or the entire direct-to-video or low-budget film industry, long as you have fun while while Hollywood is burning, you're cool with it, right? If that's their intent, yeah, I mean, I'm all for what the director's intent is. If the director's intent is to have fun, then and he succeeds in that, then yeah, I'm for that. Quality be damned, huh? Quality be damned. It's just if they're if they're trying to have fun and I have fun with them, then purpose is served. I gotta say, I'm I'm on Alex's side. I mean, the this this is such a minor thing. I mean, is it is it, it's probably giving off the wrong message but the thing is i would be willing to bet that 90 percent of of the general public has no idea who david dakota is they just kind of know like what's out there and what is in the mainstream so really this is if anything it's having uh i would say a detriment if it's having a detrimental effect at all it's probably affecting a lot of the lower budget features the asylum has already proved that they can do that and make money and he's proved that he can do this and make money. They're not making that much money. And they're not really affecting people all that much. Most people would probably watch one of these movies and be like, oh my god, this is awful. And never, ever watch another one of them again. So uh, I just don't see it having a negative impact. If any, like Seriously, like I was saying with the, the larger budget movies and with the forced 3D that's being put into movies is having a way bigger negative effects on uh, films. Well, what do you see about something like you brought up The Asylum? I can't stand The Asylum films. I know Alex and Brad are big fans of them. I'm, I'm sure you are too. I don't understand the whole draw of it's so bad, it's good. When I go to watch a movie, I want to see a good story that I care about. Yes, some of my favorite films can be considered bad movies like Galaxy of Terror or Flash Gordon but they were not made as bad movies. They were made earnestly. Like, when you watch Plan 9 from Outer Space, you don't... you If you look at it from Ed Wood's perspective, that he was trying. He really thought he made a good movie. That movie has an honesty to it that's, that all the knockoffs don't, like The Creeping Terror. That was made to be a quick shot on a weekend cash in on a genre you can tell by 
the tone of the film. When I watch a movie, I want to see a good movie. When Alex watches an Asylum film, he seems to want to see, I want bad CGI. I want horrible acting. I want a story that makes no sense. I want one-take acting. Am I wrong, Alex? Not necessarily, but uh, there are some earnest efforts from the Asylum. I mean, their Hansel and Gretel mockbuster was... actually a very decent well-done horror i don't think anything that's called a mockbuster can be an honest effort because you're specifically no but you're specifically in that case trying to emulate and ride a trend you you are you are specifically making a mockbuster i don't think if you're called a mockbuster you have a lot of honesty or integrity but it was a good horror film and then sharknado came along with honesty integrity of hey we're gonna have fun with sharks we're gonna give people what they want with shark movies and that is exactly what it did sharknado isn't so bad it's good sharknado is just fun i mean they that movie approaches it like let's just go totally over the top and have fun and that's exactly what it does and there are a good deal of asylum films that do that because sometimes they're hit and miss with their movies Sometimes you get the ones where they're like, let's have some fun with this, you know, because nobody's going to take it seriously anyway. And then you get the ones where they take it way too seriously and it's horribly boring. And then they do found footage stuff like Alien Origin. So you, so I'm somehow the cinema snob for thinking that film should at least strive to do something remotely intelligent and not. And I know how bad this sounds. Instead of giving the audience what it wants like sharknado we instead give them something that they should have like say brazil or john dies at the end i mean if you just cater to hey i want to see people fight and see bad cg sharks then isn't the whole industry already dead then not every movie has to be a thought-provoking masterpiece sometimes a movie just wants to have fun people want to just watch a movie and have fun And that is the purpose that Asylum and whatnot serves. You know, if you want Brazil, go watch Brazil. If you want to go out and watch some guy punch sharks, then, you know, you've got Sharknado for that. Cecil, am I being a faggot Josh on this or not? No, I don't think you're being faggot Josh on this. I think that, (laughs) I think it's just, I mean, you have, you have valid points. It's just that um, I think me and Alex just don't agree with you. You're looking at it from, the right perspective. It's just that uh, I, I don't know. It's see the thing is it, it is a tough subject. It's just should they strive to do better? Sure, but they're kind of uh, they're filling a niche. They they maybe weren't able to make it successfully in the larger films, and so they've kind of carved themselves this space where they're making lower budget ridiculously you know cornball films and people are buying them and people are enjoying them and sci-fi every time you know they have a, 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 an asylum weekend or whatever well they'll, they'll pick a theme and they'll marathon you know a bunch of shark movies or a bunch of insect movies and the ratings go through the roof so they're giving people what they want to a certain degree and i can't fault them for that but i think that already has a the trigger effect has already begun There was a recent really arrogant editorial at Total Film about how the writer was giving these ultra-arrogant suggestions 
to a bunch of movies he loved and how to make them better movies, such as David Fincher's Zodiac. He said, this movie's too long. We don't care about the home lives of the detectives. We don't care that his wife left him over his obsession. We want the mystery and to see who the killer is. And he went on and on. Everything he wanted cut out was character stuff out of movies. And he's like, we want the action. We want the story. That, I think, is the trigger effect. We don't want to care why these characters are doing this, why it's happening, what effect it has. We just want to see people f***ing punch sharks. Um, I think that it goes a little bit deeper than that. Uh, there are a lot of people who just... Whenever you have a movie that comes out, uh, we'll find the, the negativity in it, uh, where uh, this is too long, or like you said, there's too much dialogue, or it's too long in between scenes of people killing each other. And I mean, I do think that that is more with, uh, just the generation right now of just having like ADD and not being able to just sit down and watch a movie. I argue with people all the time. There are some amazing foreign films that I'm like, you have to see this movie. It is astonishing. And they're like, no, I'm, I'm going to wait for the American remake. Reading movies is dumb. I ain't reading no, I ain't going to read the dialogue. Yeah, if I want to read a book, I'd read a book. And I'm like, well, maybe you should read a book. But That's why there's that opening shot in Cecil B. Demented where I can't remember which foreign film it is, some French film where it's like, now with dubbing. Well, what I got was that is a pretty arrogant thing because you can't change a movie after it's already come out. You know, you can say whatever you want about it'd no, be better but, but, if, but, his but that's point, an opinion. But his point is, and he was kind of speaking at for the film community. He kept saying, we don't want, we want this in movies. We don't want this in movies. So he was kind of arrogantly speaking for the film community of like, we don't want character pieces. We want murder mysteries. I, I only watched the first half of David Fincher's Zodiac because I ended up falling asleep halfway through because it's kind of boring. So I would kind of side with this guy anyway. It's not Fincher's best. It even kind of goes back to, like I brought up Brazil earlier, how the studio, oh, people people don't want th this this unrequited love story. People don't want this 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 pseudo-commentary on British politics, people just want the sci-fi sequences, the action sequences, and to see Robert De Niro as a duct terrorist. And when you look at their version of the movie, it's unwatchable garbage because there's no heart to it. The characters act completely without motivation. The story makes no sense. Then you watch Gilliam's cut and you go, this was a brilliant movie. I think it's it's like what Harlan Ellison said back when he worked on The Sixth Sense, the TV series in the 70s. He kept getting shot down whenever he'd try to bring some intelligent idea to one of the scripts. And the producer, Stan Shepner, took him aside and said, Don't you get it? We're making the Saturday morning funnies for these people. They don't want to think. They want to relax for an hour. Do you think that that is what Hollywood's about, isn't it? It really depends on the movie, because there are some movies where you go into it knowing, I want to relax for an hour, and that's the movie that you're going to watch, and that's the one that you should get. I mean, nobody goes into Sharknado expecting Lawrence of Arabia. They want to relax for 90 minutes, and hey, that's the purpose it serves. You know, it just depends 
on the person's mood and that movie in specific, you know, specifically. Sometimes uh, I just want to watch a movie and be entertained. Um, I don't, maybe I'm going to sleep soon, or maybe I just kind of want to throw something on in the background. So I'll throw on Arachnaquake or something like that. But if I'm going to sit down and really take in a movie, uh, something that I've really been looking forward to watching, I will take my phone, put it in the other room, make sure there's no distractions around, I'll sit down and genuinely pay attention and watch the movie and enjoy it. There's a, there's just a different mood for everything. You know, sometimes you like music, you know, sometimes you want to listen to something really heavy. Sometimes maybe you want to listen to something mellow. It's kind of the same with movie watching. Sometimes I don't want to really think too much. If that's all you're watching, then there's a problem. You really do need to like get some higher echelon stuff out there and see what filmmaking is really about. That way uh, you can appreciate stuff more. And see, the way I look at it, I love exploitation films, especially from the 70s and 80s. And a lot of those were not that good of movies. But again, going back to my, they were trying. You look at a lot of the black exploitation flicks, those 70s crime thrillers, the 80s direct-to-video stuff, even the Empire stuff that we talked about last week. They were trying to make a good movie, though. They weren't just making a movie. They were trying to make a good movie that maybe was nothing more than entertaining. But for whatever reason, I have a bias that even the, the worst Full Moon stuff from the 90s still had more heart to it than even the best Asylum stuff. Asylum just seems like all they care about is we need to get this out and get it out fast. Full Moon was at least trying to build a library of of titles that people could have confidence in and not just some throwaway sharks getting cut in half with chainsaws. Sharks getting cut in half with chainsaws is pretty awesome, but it's the same thing. It's exploitation. They're making something quick and exploitive to make money. It's not that Asylum is any different from Full Moon. It's just that the nature of what there is to exploit has changed. I think the quality has changed, though. No, it's basically the same quality. I mean, it's the same budget if you look at inflation. But the, the end product is not the same. The end quality is not the same. Well, the Asylum has ones that totally suck, and then they have awesome ones, just like Full Moon did. They had good ones, and they had bad ones. But look, for instance, like you would have never seen some of the mistakes, and I do mean mistakes, in Asylum films like 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 the camera being being hit accidentally or you clearly seeing the the gaffer walk past in the background during you know wearing sunglasses and a cowboy hat during a lord of the rings style knockoff scene at least Char charles band had a certain quality level he would not dip below at that time at that time yeah because nowadays i see the hand moving the puppet in yes. puppet master movies yeah that's why i said at that time but i think <laughs> Part of that is due to the asylum, that he saw people don't care about this, whether they see the hand moving the puppet, because they they flock to these asylum, this asylum garbage. So why should I try? Why should I work harder at this? Well, you know, band can still try. The other thing is he likes money. And if people are going to pay for this, then who should I be to deny them that? Because I like money. Believe it or not, there really is a limit to how bad 
people are willing for it to go before it's just, all right, no, we're not going to watch this. There was, uh, I, I don't know if they're still around or not, but uh, Seduction Cinema used to make all these really awful Misty Monday films. They are still around. I actually are get, they still I, I get screeners from Alternative Cinema. They're, they're a subsidiary of Alternative Cinema. Yeah, I yeah, actually they're... have a one of theirs up for an episode right after Shark Month. Oh, really? And, 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 <laughs> with Misty Monday in it. And, and you're not, you're not wrong. Those things are awful. I mean, those things are David Dakota level of. We might not even get one good take, but we're doing one take on everything and then just print it. But I, I see worse. where Cecil is going with this because you're right. There is a limit. I can't stand those movies at all. Yeah, it, it's bad when you're watching a movie and it's just loaded with nudity and you don't care. Like it just—it's like you're turning it off. Like I—I I remember. I think the one of the first ones I saw was uh, Titanic 2000, and I thought I'm like, oh, this is going to be hilarious. It's and it it was unwatchable. Like I got about 20 minutes in and I was just like, I can't take this anymore. And I kind of fast forwarded through the whole thing. So I do think that. Again, there's that magic sweet spot of finding something where, yeah, it's bad, but there is at least a little bit of integrity and maybe um, a good amount of pacing and some sort of skill that goes into it that makes it so that you can watch it to the end and don't feel completely pissed off and don't feel like you just wasted 90 minutes. Well, on that then, since you do good bad flicks, what What is your criteria for a good bad flick? Is it something that you just have fun with or something where the, you think the mainstream public won't like? Or is it, and I'm admitting this, my bias might be colored by nostalgia that I grew up with these movies that I see as higher quality, but on a technical level, they may not be. You know, because you've seen a bunch of my episodes that, I mean, I don't just... Uh, I don't I don't focus primarily on movies by Dakota and whatnot. I kind of do movies that I feel either are looked at unjustly or just like hidden gems that people have never heard of. It's it's funny how people would consider something like Harley Davidson, the Marlboro Man. Like they'd be like, it's so bad, it's good. And it's like, no, it's it's not even bad at all. It's it's a good, solid movie. It's entertaining. It's got a great cast. It's got a great soundtrack. And the name really, it, it, for for my particular show, the name is more, not so much it's, it's so bad, it's good. It is more along the lines of these are movies that there is a lot of perception that they're bad, but they're actually good. When I, I've noticed from the catalog that you've done on your show, Cecil, is that a lot of those are the films that I think there are inherent there is inherent value in those. A lot of those they've got a good cast, maybe a good idea that per- perhaps wasn't executed properly, but you can see that there was a good idea that people were trying. And then you look at like the Misty Monday stuff or some or like Sharknado and stuff where to me it seems like they just said we're not even going to try. That you know, just write the script on a bar napkin and go shoot the damn thing. That you know that that's what it seems, or it seems like, like with the the newer asylum stuff, that they're trying to be outrageous in place of cleverness. Like, oh look, it's Thor, 
but he's got an Uzi. It's sharks oh. in a tornado. Let's just see if we can get one outrageous image that will trend. And I think that's their whole point is we want mileage on these things, not longevity. That, you know, 20 years later, people are not going to be watching these asylum movies and going, God, that was a fun film. The same way so, you can watch the same way you can watch an old Empire flick. Again, it's it's weird. I, I agree with you and I disagree with you. I would I like my movies to kind of strive to achieve a higher level? Yeah. Because there are some that do and they end up elevating themselves beyond their B level stature. I will say though that I'm kind of surprised at how um I was shocked when I found out that Sharknado cost two million dollars. Because because it, it looks like it's got a David Dakota budget. It really does. Well, that and, and the asylum has tried, and we can do anything for less than one million. Yeah, I don't know where because they obviously they didn't spend all their money on getting Tara Reid because uh, I can't imagine her ticket price is that much. But and and they were pushing her as like the big star. That, Even uh, Uwe Boll regretted putting her alone in the dark. Go back and listen to our interview about it. It's hilarious. Oh, it was fantastic. And she was. Alone in the Dark was awful. Hey, 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 but, I liked that one. Oh, did I thought it was Now, awful. why did you like Alone in the Dark there? Because that's a pretty bad movie. Do you legitimately think it's an enjoyable movie, or is it a so bad it's good thing, Josh? When it comes to Alone in the Dark, I'm looking at it more towards what was there and what was not there. Like, when I watched the Nostalgia Critic, Spoonie, and Linkara's evisceration of it, they seemed to miss... I mean, seriously, half the stuff they point out as plot holes, it might only be a one-line explanation, but is explained in the movie. Even that pandering opening text crawl covers a lot of what people complain, well, that doesn't make any sense. Go back and watch the text crawl, idiots. The movie's not nearly as dumb or bad as people think it is. People just, you gotta remember, that was the era where everything Uwe Boll touched was garbage, according to the critics. I'm still on the fence with, with him. Like I said, I just don't like what he he set back video game movies really harshly because every movie he was com- putting were just slapped together they weren't making any money producers weren't looking at it as well this guy's making garbage and therefore we should still make video game movies but you know ignore that this guy is making them. they were like well video game movies are coming out and no one's going to see them so but, but uve boll in that same area has has he's evolved past the asylum type movies but look at the criticism of assault on wall street which alex you can back me up is a fantastic film isn't it it is it's a great movie but it's also got character it's got motivation and heart you know what the biggest complaint about the movie is it's too it's slow and there's not enough action mm. yeah so see then again you know but, but in a case like uve bull the guy can't win so if he makes a mindless action film, the complaint would be there's no heart and there's no character. So he makes a an action film where what the action pieces make sense because of what the character's gone through in the first 40 minutes, and they go, God, this is just boring. I don't care. One critic actually said, can we just get to the damn attack on Wall Street already? They don't care why Dominic Purcell was attacking Wall Street. They just wanted to see bank bankers and brokers get shot up well that and the the dvd cover kind of shows him with a assault rifle and there's like a bank exploding in the background and nothing like that ever happens in the movie no it doesn't that is misleading but 
But, but Alex, you see what I'm talking about, how that movie gave me what I wanted as a movie fan. It was exploitation, but at the same time, it was a real movie, too. I didn't even think of it as exploitation. I thought of it as, like, honest filmmaking, making a social statement. So, Cecil, do you see what we're talking about, how even Uwe Boll has moved beyond the Asylum-type garbage that he was, like House of the Dead, which I, I even admitted to him, I absolutely despised? I mean, there's a large reasoning for that. They closed the uh, the tax loophole, and he's not allowed, you know, well, claiming all these box office failures on the tax loophole and get his money back. Now he has to actually make good movies. So now that he actually has the money built up, he started, you know, he expanded his studios. He's working towards making good movies because he does have the ability. It's just for a while there, he was milking the cow because it was an easy way to turn a buck. He was like, all right, well, if I make these movies quick and cheap and crappy, I can, you know, there'll be a huge failure. I can, ta- you know, collect on the tax loophole, get a crap ton of money back, and then just continue on. Because if you look at something like uh, In the Name of the King, that was an $80 million movie that looked uh, on par with like an asylum picture. It was a Yeah, visible... th- to me, that looked like a Sci Fi Channel original. It really did. And it was just horrible. And I, it, I've seen movies that have had, you know, a fourth of that budget that looked way better. Now that he's actually has to kind of earn a living, he's making good movies. The problem is, is that he's made a name for himself that he's made just these garbage pictures. So it's going to take a while before people stop looking at it like, oh, Uwe Boll put out a movie and the beginning of it was boring. What was this? So it's probably going to take like maybe three or four genuinely good films before people will start taking him seriously. And then at that point, they'll probably go back and look at some of his, you know, more recent films, then they'll recognize, oh, well, you know what? He's he's trying now, so he's actually making good movies. So probably the movie, like Attack on Wall Street, people are complaining about it now, but five years from now, they might be looking back on it and giving it the credit that it deserves. Well, do you see, do you see something like that being able to happen? And like, is someone like David Dakota savable? Can his career be salvaged if people would stop renting all of his crap, stop watching his garbage, and specifically go to and specifically make him become a real filmmaker again? Do you think that it would do the same Uwe Boll kind of thing? That it would force Dakota to actually make real movies again? It's possible. I mean, I was kind of hoping that when he got back together with um, Full Moon and made uh, the Puppet Master Axis of Evil, I was kind of hoping it's like, okay, he's going to go back and he's going to start making movies with Full Moon again, and it's going to be great. And then he started, you know, going back to the 1313 movies. And so uh, I I don't know. I mean, it, it might come to a point where if people stop getting his movies, he might just be completely out of work altogether. So because you never know the way that that the industry is going to work. Sometimes you have some terrible directors who continuously get work, Marcus Nisbell. Then you have other really awesome directors that got thrown under the bus, uh, like Fred Decker and Richard Stanley, Richard. Oh God, Richard Stanley, who's an amazing director. He should be making films now. He's not. And that is just a crime. And meanwhile, we're getting lazy Tim Burton movie after lazy Tim Burton movie. He's somebody who needs saving. He needs just 
uh, he needs one of his movies to come out and be a horrendous failure. And well, maybe even worse go- than Dark Shadows, because that loss that only made back a quarter of its damn budget and was a critical flop. So that was a pretty big bomb. And uh, Johnny Depp did say that he was going to retire. He wanted to stop making Tim Burton movies. So <laughs> that could be the kick in the pants that he needs maybe to go back. In my opinion, he back in like the, the 90s, incredible. 80s and 90s, he made some of my favorite movies. Beetlejuice, Ed Wood, just movie after movie of his that I just loved. And then he started in with Planet of the Apes and started just making really, really expensive terrible movies but this is a whole other subject i'm completely off topic to go back to the topic david dakota if he wanted to make a good movie nowadays i'm sure he could but the problem is is he has become so complacent with making product for redbox and doing his 1313 movies and his santa summer house that i don't think he would see the benefit of taking a gamble on an actual project which is a risk so basically you're saying he gave up as a filmmaker the same way like when we did the Toby Hooper retrospective, how Toby Hooper said he doesn't even care about the quality of the product anymore. He just likes being on a movie set and directing. He doesn't care what it is or how it turns out. Not that he gave up because you also have to remember how David Dakota grew up learning filmmaking. I mean, he was first under Roger Corman and then he went to Full Moon. And he's been in an exploitation, we are making movies for a profit here, for direct-to-video. He's never worked, you know, for a big studio making something that's a risk. He's been playing with safe things that are cashing in on an already established fan base. And if he wanted to go out and take a risk, I don't think he would, given how complacent he is with everything he's done for his whole career. The Asylum, Uzi, you know, Thor with an Uzi, and sharks being cut in half with chainsaws as they fly out of tornadoes. What about when you come up with an intelligent movie that also incorporates some of that weird, weird-ass imagery and arguable set pieces that doesn't do as well, such as a movie like John Dies at the End? Fantastic movie. Shockingly original. I, I compare it with Videodrome for how just brutally original and unpredictable it was in a good way, and yet it still did not make as much money as The Asylum made the month it came out. Does that say the audience just doesn't care? Because John Dies at the End requires you to pay attention to the movie. Sharknado really doesn't. John Dies at the End is not quite the same as an Asylum movie, because John Dies at the End isn't cashing in off of a demographic or an established need the way that the Asylum does. John Dies at the End presented, hey, here's an original movie for people that want to take the time and think while they watch a movie. And, you know, it didn't strike true with the audience that it was going for, and that's, you know, sad, because I really like that movie, and it's the, the author of the book. John Dies at the End was an amazing film. I was, same thing, I was blown away at how original it was, at how cool it was, the writing, everything was impeccable. I just, I loved it from start to finish. It's one of those movies where it maybe took a little bit longer to find its audience, but now that it has and it's growing legs, it's going to continue to uh, be seen. Whereas 10 years from now, like people aren't still going to be watching Sharknado. 10 years from now, people are still going to be watching John Dies at the End. And then uh, 
the what's the uh, this book is full of spiders will be the you know the follow up. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure the movie will be called This Movie is Full of Spiders. Prob- yeah, probably. I can't see them. Yeah, that wouldn't make sense. Well, John to, to, to be fair, Cecil, mm-hmm. it makes about as much sense as a movie we love, Blair Witch Two: Book of Shadows, where there's no book or shadows. But at least that is keeping with the original title of the book, whereas Book of Shadows was just, hey, this would be a cool, t- you know, a cool subtitle for the film, Book of Shadows. There's no book in the film. Well, th- then, do you think something? Do you think that is that the John dies at the end versus the asylum is a commentary on what the audience wants that? Because John dies at the end, required you to think, required you to pay attention to follow it, that the audience just didn't want that, that it goes back to what I was talking about at the beginning. They just want to see the weird crap and not why the weird crap is happening. No, I think the difference is, is that is simply in the marketing with something like Sharknado. I, I had heard about that months ahead of time and it kind of it, it had a, a big Internet buzz. And it got pushing that way, and sci-fi was pushing it. And so finally, when it came out, Twitter exploded and whatnot. Whereas John Dies at the End, did it had a very small theatrical release. And then uh, it went to video on demand and then to DVD. And it was a, comparatively, it was a much quieter thing. I knew about it because I'm in like that environment. I, I, I'm always reading movie news and trying to find out stuff. But that's another one where it wasn't getting posted on BuzzFeed and it wasn't getting brought up on Reddit and it wasn't really getting into a lot of people's uh, lines of sight. Whereas something ridiculous like Sharknado or uh, oh, the next Asylum feature is going to be this piece of crap. And then everybody is, oh, we have to see that. So I think it's I think it's a combination of it wasn't marketed as much and even if it was, there were a lot of people who probably just wouldn't have gotten it. They uh, they wouldn't have understood what kind of film it was. And then there were people I know who I work with who have seen it who thought that it was stupid. They didn't understand it. So it, 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 if I get what you're saying, you're saying Sharknado can be summed up in a single sentence. Sharks in a tornado. John dies at the end would require five paragraphs to explain the plot. Absolutely. Sound bites. Really, right? Well, I mean, isn't that kind of what are the nature of things right now? Everything is summed up into sound bites. Everybody, all our politicians and all our big budget movie makers and whatnot, they're looking for that that 140 character thing that they can sum up whatever they're doing to get it out there. What you're basically describing is high concept film, you know, where it has a simple pitch that can be done in just one sentence. You know, Alien was high concept because its entire concept was Jaws in space. And people have been flocking to those high concept. Here's a simple premise that we can sum up in one sentence since since Jaws. The end thing is, as Cecil brought up, people will still be watching John Dies at the End five years from now. Sharknado, it's basically run its course. It'll get its DVD release and get another month of being on top, but... This time next year, people are going to be like, oh, yeah, that that, that was that, wasn't it? Uh. N- not so much intentionally making a bad movie. What about when you are intentionally satirizing bad movies, such as Ted Newsom's The Naked Monster, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, things like that? Because I remember like when Attack of the Killer Tomatoes first came out in 78, people were saying, 
I don't know if I can call this a bad movie because it's an intentionally made bad movie that's making fun of bad movies. So does that make it a bad movie? No, about those is those are also very hit and miss because for every Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, you have 10 others that are intentional B-movie satires that are just unwatchable. There's movies like Retarded, which I hate, can't stand that movie comes down to the talent of the filmmakers. Some understand satire and make a really good satirical B-movie, but... Such as 90%... The Naked Monster. Naked Monster yes. is absolutely hilarious if you're a fan of 50s giant monster flicks. Yeah, it all comes down to the talent of the filmmakers. Some are able to pull it off, but 90% of them out there, they, they're just like, oh, this made me laugh in a B-movie once, so I'm going to do it here and... Everyone will think it's funny, but they don't. Movies like uh, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, they completely baffled people. And I think the uh, I think it's hilarious because it's so ridiculously it's it's intentionally bad. But like you said, it's intentionally bad to make fun of movies that are bad. So it's this weird thing that, that it kind of falls into and it works. Another, I think, a good one, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. That one is done to goof on the the 50s uh, horror films, but they had the clowns and the makeup in that was just amazing and so incredibly creepy. And if they were and the deaths that, were pretty gory too. Oh yeah, they and they were inventive. Uh, he was he was the one the one was using the guy like a pu- like a hand puppet. They were they were very creative, and so something like that, yeah, it does kind of elevate itself beyond uh, just simply bad movie stature. It's it's a it's a tricky. I mean, this is such a tricky thing because sometimes uh, they're they're subjective. There are people that consider the Evil Dead movies bad, and they're not. There are some people that, well, I know you don't like Slither, but people that consider Slither bad and Reanimator they consider bad. Do you do you think in that case, in the case of like all the movies we're talking about, which are even if the word is a little loosely applied here, satire of bad movies, do you think that's sort of lost if you don't have the reference point? For instance, now you got to remember, my brother is younger than me. Back in the early 2000s, I first showed him Plan 9 from Outer Space, and he watched it and he told me point blank, all seriousness. That this was a brilliant satire of bad 50s movies. And I told him, no, this is an actual 50s movie. He thought it was made in the 90s making fun of bad 50s movies. Because he didn't have the reference point of knowing that Plan 9 was real. Do you think that limits the audience of movies like Naked Monster? Well, again, it's a niche market. Naked Monster is made for people that enjoyed 50s B-movies, and you have to approach that movie with that mindset. That's the mindset it should be judged on. How does this deliver as a satire of its genre? I, I pity the poor person that approaches something like The Naked Monster expecting an actual legitimate, oh my god, this is going to terrify me monster movie. You know, you reminded me with uh, The Naked Monster, another goofy satire is a, is a bad but still entertaining satire uh lobster man from mars was oh another... god i love deborah foreman in that oh, that was a showtime staple for a long time oh yeah all the time i first caught that movie. on joe bob briggs actually on movie channel back on drive-in theater i first caught lobster man from mars 
Oh, no. I didn't even know he did that one. That's, I love Joe Bob Briggs. He actually was called Joe Bob Briggs 2. Was, or Joe Bob Briggs 2.0 was one of the nicest compliments I ever received. Yeah, like something like Lobster Man from Mars and Deborah Foreman. Yes, she's awesome. Something like that where it's silly, but it's intentionally poking fun. That's hilarious, though, with the with the Plan 9 thing where he, he didn't know. I, I But the thing is, I can understand because it's so bad that you would think that there's no way that somebody did this for real. Like this has to be a, a complete just wink at the audience. Well, and do you think that bad filmmaking, and I don't mean that the process of bad filmmaking, my question is, do you think that bad filmmaking in the perception of the audience is either myopic or all-encompassing? For instance, look at the trailer for Ed Wood, the worst director of all time. Even when that movie came out, Ed Wood was pretty highly regarded. So is that fair to... to I mean, is that a myopic look or, or an, a wide open look? It's, t- I would, I would say probably a wide open look. Uh, it's just, I don't, it's, that's tough. Well, I'm going to go with the wide open look here because even the worst films still do have interesting stories to them. You know, the worst filmmaker. No, they don't. I dare you to watch Ballistic X versus Sever and tell Ooh. me there's anything interesting in that hour and 20 minutes. Not every movie. There are. There you are said some every steps. movie. Okay, perhaps I, I pulled a Josh there by using an absolute statement. Hey, there are some gems in there, you know. And somebody like Ed Wood, the worst filmmaker of all time, as the trailer says, he did lead a v- rather interesting life and makes for a good biopic. A but, good biopic, but we're not going to get into the how accurate Ed Wood is. It's no, no, just, no, I wasn't going to go there. I was going to say, but at least Ed Wood, the real Ed Wood's filmography. As I pointed out earlier in this episode, he was trying. He truly thought he was making great movies. You cannot tell me the director of Sharknado ever thought, my God, this is going to be an amazing film. I am sure that it's exactly what he thought, and he succeeded because Sharknado is pretty amazing. All right, I'm not talking to you anymore. Like uh, like Alex said, it was a guy who he led an interesting life and whether, you know, how true or whatnot uh, the actual movie was to his life. It still made for an incredible movie. That was one of one of Burton's best and one of his last good ones. And, and again, that, well, though, that was a character piece. And what mm-hmm. did it what happened to it? It bombed. Well, probably because it was in black and white and people are like, oh, no, I don't like the black and white. Give me colors. That is true. I thought uh, I actually took a I took a date to see it about 10 minutes into the movie. She was like, isn't this going to turn into color like the Wizard of Oz? And I'm like, no. OK, uh, Kevin Eastman, owner of Heavy Metal and co-creator of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He said now that obviously this is, you know, back in 1981, he said how he realized whether he was going to date a girl a second time or not. He took her to go see Heavy Metal if she didn't like it. He never called her again. That's what you should have done with that Ed Wood date, Cecil. Well, I kind of inadvertently, I, I did do that when with, with my now, with my wife. We had been dating for a while. Um, I have a pretty off-the-wall sense of humor, and uh, it can be pr- it can be kind of brutal at times. So uh, one night, she had come over to uh, my apartment, and we sat down and watched uh, Orgasmo, 
And I was like, this is kind of a, a litmus test to see, you know, where she is. And we watched it and she laughed hysterically. And like, that was when I was like, all right, this is, this is the girl. And then years later we got married. My final thoughts are that, you know, you have to approach the movie with the right mindset is there are movies made for when you want to actually sit down and analyze something, when you, when you want to think. And there will always be movies for that. But then there are times where you just want to turn your brain off and enjoy a man punching a shark. And that's what those movies are for. You can't judge the two movies on the same level. Same thing. It's like there's a time and a place for everything. Uh, sometimes you want to watch a movie called Frankenhooker. Sometimes you want to watch Lawrence of Arabia. You want something that will engage you. It just goes with your mood. I think there's a time and place for everything. Except for... Uh, Really, really, really awful movies with jive-talking robots. I think movies should at least strive to be better. You don't have to make high art. You don't have to go and make highbrow art. But I think if all you make is Prada and you don't even try to make movies, not only are you insulting your audience, who somehow are thanking you for doing so, which seemingly says more about the audience than it does the filmmaker, I think you end up destroying the entire industry itself. I mean, th that's just my feelings. I guarantee everyone disagrees with me. I think films should be held to a higher standard, but I know I'm on the outs on this one. So where can we find the Marquis de Suede? At geekjuicemedia.com, being all suede over there. Where can we find Cecil Trenchenberg of Good Bad Flicks? can find me at uh, goodbadflix.com as well as on uh, Geek Juice Media. Hey, Geek Juice Media for myself as well, plus 1201beyond.com, and you can contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Have a good night, guys, and wow, I'm really looking forward to the comments on this one.
Radio Drome is a 1201 Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.